You're listening to the weekly podcast of Hope Community Church, where we desire to see people transformed by the love of Christ. Join us as we study God's Word together. Jesus, speak to us this morning by your Spirit. We humbly come to this moment and... And just ask that you would give us ears, Lord, to hear you this morning as we look at your word. And that each one of us, Lord Jesus, would hear what it is you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to follow along this morning, you'll probably see the notes on the screen. Also, there's a, if you want to take notes, if that helps you, there's a, an outline in the bulletin. Before we jump into what we're going to do this morning... Just full disclosure for a moment. How many of you this week got to see the Avengers? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Fantastic. Nadia calls me on Friday morning, Dad, you got to see this. It was amazing. So I called her. She starts telling me the story. And she said, seriously, when I get home, we'll go see this. But she said, really, to understand it, you got to see the ones that came before. I said, okay, like how many of them are there? She said, oh, it's only like 22. So (laughs) if I'm not here next week, you'll know what I'm doing. (laughs) This morning, we are not going to look at one specific text from the scriptures, but I want to look at a number of them and talk about something that is really important. Let me start. First, just by asking you a question, and the question is very simple. How's your soul? How's your soul? Pastor, what what exactly do you mean? A guy by the name of Jeffrey Boyd teaches at Yale, does a lot of stuff He's a psychologist, but does a lot of stuff in religion. And he did a survey over a number of months of hundreds of people that are church attenders, people that go to church all the time, and ask a number of questions. And one of the questions was, do you believe you have a soul? Yes. Do you know what that means? Yes. Essay question. Could you explain that? That's where... got a little bit off the rails. Said 50% of the people who absolutely believe they have a soul and and that they know what it means, he said their description sounded like something from the cartoons. You got this picture of Daffy Duck who gets blown up by dynamite and you see his body laying there and there's this weird little ghost-like thing going up in the air. He said that's kind of what it sounded like. That's not what the Bible is talking about. That's not what your soul is. We, we live in a, a kind of scientific age where we don't talk much about our souls, but we all know that it's there. In fact, if you were listening this morning, every song we sang talks about your soul. The one we just heard, Jesus, keep me near the cross. And the chorus says... Till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. What what are we talking about? You hear it in our language. We talk a lot about soul. 
Talk about soul food. There's like regular food, and then there's soul food. I mean, that doesn't just taste good. It just goes right to your soul and usually ends up in your stomach. But we, in election time again, can you believe that? We just finished this, and now we're going to do it all over again. And one of the candidates yesterday started talking. Nasty's going, oh, please, not yet. One of the candidates that just jumped into the race was talking about the soul of America. Maybe you prayed this prayer when you were a kid. Nighttime before you go to bed and parents come in and you say this little prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. Anybody heard this one? How does it go? I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I should die before I wake... I pray the Lord my soul to take. Most seven-year-olds are going, what are you saying? That is crazy. We all know, even though we may not be able to define what it is, that not only do we have one, but it's really important. Over the last generation, we've seen the birth and the onslaught of what they call reality television. It's this genre of television that is, I guess the way we would define it is it's unscripted. And there's game shows that are reality. So there's cooking shows and on the show live and you're gonna watch this thing happen. There's talent shows, America has talent. There's confessionals, there are all these unscripted life situation. The fact that we have reality television means probably that most of it isn't reality. But one of them that I found very interesting, I don't know the exact name of it, it's about hoarding, uh, hoarders I think is what it's called, and apparently if you were to walk down any street in America, they say, I forget what the percentage is, it's pretty amazing that all the houses that you can't see behind the doors, a pretty significant percent of them, there's hoarders. And what does that look like? Well, it's physical stuff that you just keep, and you keep keeping it, and you keep keeping it, and pretty soon there's nowhere to go in your house. So this show is about this team of people that comes in, and, and if you've seen it, you open the door and you go, oh my goodness, what happened? And then they're going to help. And there's a whole team of people. There's the, 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 the diplomacy people, because you can't just take it and throw it away. You've got to have conversations about it. What do we, how about this? How about that? How about... And then by the end of the show, they've gotten some of the stuff taken out. They've got the place cleaned up, painted. Another one that we watched for a number of years called The Biggest Loser. It's not hoarding stuff, it's hoarding food. And people get to a really tough place and so they get invited onto this show. And on the show they're helping them change the way they eat and change it. I'm not picking on, on hoarders. Or, all of us hoard something. And, and here's the point. None of those things are out here. 
So you can bring in a team of people and you can clean the whole place up and you can change the whole atmosphere and then they leave. But if nothing changed in here, you're going to come back in three years and you're going to find the exact same thing. We live in a culture that tries to treat everything out here. But our problems aren't out here. They're in our souls. And so the Bible talks a lot about the healing of our souls, the saving of our souls. So what it means, it, it, it's not a change in behavior. The gospel doesn't come so we'll behave better. The gospel has come so we can be forgiven and, and our souls healed. Jesus said, you spend so much time cleaning the outside of the cup, that's not your problem. The problem is in your soul. It's on the inside of your cup. And if you find healing and cleansing in there, it cleans the whole thing. So the culture that we live in, we don't talk a lot about our soul. In fact, it's fairly materialistic, scientific, our worldview. And so in this generation, if you can't measure it, you can't touch it, you can't see it, then it most likely doesn't exist. I like the way philosopher Owen Flanagan says it. He says, there is no place in science for the notion of a soul. Desouling is the primary operation of the scientific age. Guess what? Even if you deny that you have one, you still do. This is what Jesus said. Mark chapter 16, verse 26. What would it actually profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Turns out it's pretty important. But I don't think what he's talking about here is simply saving our souls from hell. He's actually talking about right now, Jesus healing our souls. I want to talk about this for a minute, not to get all, let's get a definition so we know what, but just as we're talking about this over the next few weeks, how do you, what are the habits that can give us a healthy soul? Well, what is it exactly that we're talking about? In our culture, we talk a lot about self, self-esteem and self-worth and self-promotion and selfies. And I was listening to somebody speak it a few weeks ago, and she said, I, I forget the number. It's just astounding. Hundreds of millions of selfies that are taken every year on our planet. And she says, you don't think that's a problem? It is. This is not talking about yourself. It's, Jesus is talking about who, who we are, our soul, our inner life. Our self is this, this outer life, the, the public visible me, my accomplishments, my work, my reputation. The soul is our inner life, the place where all the parts come together. The soul is the life center of us as humans. So let's talk for a minute about when the Bible talks about our souls, what, what is it that it's talking about? Jesus makes this statement. This actually comes from um, the Old Testament. One day, one of the people that was on the road stopped him and said, Jesus, what's like the most important thing 
that we could do? What's the commandment that stands above the rest of them? And Jesus says, I'll make it really simple for you. He says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. So how do you love God with your soul? Well, let me take a moment. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, I think you're aware that they weren't written in English. Uh, the Old Testament was written in, in I was going to say in French. Actually, it wasn't in French. It was in Hebrew. And the New Testament is written in Greek. So what were the notions or the words that they used to talk about our soul? Well, in Hebrew, the word is nefesh, your soul. So when you read in Genesis, it says that God created the heavens and the earth and the trees and he, he brought order out of the chaos and he put the oceans in place and he drew lines. And then it says that at the end, he, he reached down and he took the dust of the earth and out of it, he formed Adam. And then it says that he breathed nefesh into the dust, into Adam. And, and that breath is God's life given to Adam. It's, it's, it's Adam. It's his life. It's, it's the breath of God. In the New Testament, the word is the word that we use for psyche. It's the same word in Greek. And it's saying the same thing. It's talking about our person, our life, our breath. So that you don't actually have a nefesh, you are a nefesh. You don't have a soul, your soul is who you are. So let me try to unpack it. About 100 years ago, there was a doctor who was studying people who had tuberculosis, I think it was in Canada, and one of the things he was studying was when, when they got to death, and this is what he noticed, that when a, a tuberculosis victim would die, the moment before they died and the moment after they died, they would lose about 21 grams. That's just a few ounces. So his conclusion was, a soul must weigh 21 grams. That makes sense. I, I, I don't think that's probably true. Your soul is not something that you can put on a scale. It's you. So, wanted to, the best way I know how, describe what I think the Bible is saying when it talks about this, a definition. This comes from Dallas Willard. It's the most helpful that I've found. If when I get done explaining this, you fully understand it, I'm a genius, because I don't even understand this fully, but let me try to unpack it. The, the, the Bible itself doesn't really, it talks a lot about the soul, but it doesn't really describe it. This is the way Dallas Willard pictures it. At the core of every one of us, we have a will. You have a will. You can decide. You can decide yes, you can decide no. You can decide you're going to love and serve God. You can decide you're not. That is your will, your desires. It's, it's at the heart of you. It's what makes us human beings. 
We're like God. We can choose. He put them in the garden. They could choose to eat from the tree. They could choose to not eat from the tree. It's, it's your will. We also have, the scripture talks about loving the Lord with your mind. What is your mind? Well, that's the place where you have conscious thoughts and emotions. It's the place where, where those things are processed. The scripture says we also have a physical body. It's the physical domain in which your will and your mind exist. So, I have a physical body. I have a will. The only place that that will is fully mine is inside this case. My, my wife has a body. I have one. My will, I was going to say my will doesn't determine what you, sometimes it does, but you get the point. That that's the place where those things are housed. So what is your soul? Well, your soul is all of those things together. Dallas Willard uses the example of an operating system in a computer. You have, you have the actual physical computer. You have all this software. You have all, but the thing that makes them all work together is your soul. You are not a physical body. You are not a mind. You are not a will. You are all of those things. That's who you are. That's your soul. So, again, the Bible doesn't have like this formula. These are just taking the, the, the biblical ideas that we have and trying to, what is it that Jesus is talking about? This is what it is. So, next question is, what language does your soul speak? This, I'm pretty sure, is French. Just kidding. <laughs> what, what language does your soul talk? Let's listen to a couple scriptures that talk about the soul. This is from the psalmist, and he says this. He's talking to his soul, and he says, Oh, my soul, why are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? The prophet Isaiah he says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. If David is talking to his soul, he's responding to something that his soul said to him. What language did his soul use? Well, often when we talk about somebody's soul, listen to the words that we use. We go, oh, that, that person's a really happy soul. Well, that person's a really courageous soul. That person's a little bit of a morbid soul. What are we saying? Those, those are emotions. But often the way that our soul speaks to us is through our emotions, through sentiment. I like to think of it as... In your car, there's a dashboard, and on it, there's all these little lights. Those lights are to tell you when there's a problem. Some of you are going, oh, that's what they're for. So what you do is, when one of those starts to blink, if you just have some duct tape, you put it over the light, and then it stops bothering you. No. 
It's there to tell you that you need to think about this. And, and your soul does the same thing for you. Sometimes it's, it's sadness. Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's... And, and it's your soul saying to you, you need to listen. So, in the scriptures, it's, it's not that we're supposed to sit around talking to our souls all the time, but it, the picture is that, that our souls are alive. They, it's who we are. So, next question. What does it look like to have a healthy soul or an unhealthy soul? Because you can have a really healthy one and you can have a really unhealthy one. What would it look like? What does a healthy soul look like? The three words that came to me as I was working on this this week and reading uh, different scriptures from the life of Jesus, these three words, let me uh, use these three words. The word is freedom, truth, and identity. What does a healthy soul look like? A, a healthy soul is free. Jesus said, I have come to set you free. What are the things that bind your soul? Well, things like lust and anger and bitterness. and They get into your soul and they destroy your soul. What does a healthy soul look like? A healthy soul is a soul that's learned to live in freedom from those things. A healthy soul is one that is filled with truth. Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. What's the opposite of truth? Well, often the opposite of truth is hiding. We hide because we don't want the truth. We don't want the light to shine. A soul that's healthy is one that, you know what? All of us are hoarders. We're all broken. And, and it's those who have the courage to bring that out into the light and be forgiven that begin to walk in health. The third word I chose was identity. Paul talks all the time about who we are in Christ. We are the beloved of God. It's the more you know that, the freer you will be. That's what a healthy soul looks like. It's a soul that's just sitting down, not because it's worthy, not because it's perfect, but because it's loved. You can also have a really unhealthy soul. What does an unhealthy soul look like? Well, it's exactly the opposite. An unhealthy soul is one that's, that's bound. It's not free. It's addicted to this and to that and, and it's got the toxins, soul toxins that are just destroying. It, it's a soul that has lots of hidden things. The more that you have hidden in your soul, the more unhealthy your soul is. It's, it's just the way it is. The third thing we talked about is, is identity. Living as the beloved of God. 
In the Bible, the opposite of love is not hate. It is fear. So when fear is what dominates your soul, it begins to disintegrate your soul. What does a healthy soul look like? It looks, it looks like somebody who's learned to live in the love and forgiveness of Christ and just receive it. it getting all the stuff out in the open and, and, and being set free. That's what it looks like. Give me a picture. Well, I came across this story this week. The guy was telling you about Jeffrey Boyd. Tells a story about a woman that he met. Her name was Patricia. Patricia suffered greatly. She had diabetes at a very young age. It was followed by a heart attack and two strokes. From the diabetes, she went blind and then had renal failure and had both her legs amputated. All of that was before she was out of her 30s. So the rest of her life, Patricia spent in a nursing home except for the couple of weeks every year that she was hospitalized when she would go into a coma. Life was hard. Every Sunday, Patricia would find a way to get to church. She was part of a church in Washington, D.C., and one of the things that this church was talking about, there was lots of homeless people around where they were, and they were looking for somebody to, to begin a ministry to homeless people, and nobody was responding, and, and Patricia felt like she was the person that God wanted to do this, and so she volunteered puts a team together. This is somebody who can't see, whose legs have been amputated, who spends most of her time in hospitals and nursing homes, calls a team together, gets them praying together, meets with this, the commission in the city, gets all the permissions needed, does an architectural plan, builds a building, and this thing takes off. Becomes like a model. Well, a year into the, in, into the journey, a year after the, the center opened, Patricia died. At her funeral, the street was lined with homeless people. Standing next to them were congressmen and congresswomen women, and the Secretary of State, James Baker. That's what a healthy soul looks like. Is somebody, not who all the circumstances are working, everything's great out here, is somebody who in their inner person has come to know that they are the beloved of Christ. And, wow, powerful. Souls are powerful things. So, let me close with this question. So how do, you, how do souls heal? Let me read you this. This is from 1 Peter. Peter makes this observation. He says, you love Jesus, you love him, even though you have never seen him. Though you don't see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. It is the reward for trusting him. The reward will be the salvation of your souls. Trusting him will be the salvation of your soul. Often we think what that's talking about is one day your soul is going to be saved from hell. Well, that's true. But that's not what this is saying. The word salvation 
actually, sozo, it actually is the healing of your whole person. It's the healing of your soul. Walking in freedom. It doesn't just mean being saved from eternal punishment. It means right now, right here, being restored and healed, being made right body, soul, and spirit. The psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul. How does that happen? The word salvation means the healing and deliverance at the deepest level of who we are in the presence of Jesus. That's what he came to do. So he asked me, okay, pastor, for that to happen, is that me that does that or is it God? And the answer is yes. It's a joint project. You may have heard this story. The pastor and in his church, in his congregation, there's a a gentleman who's a farmer. He's got his farm out on the edge of town, a place that he had bought a number of years ago and begun to farm. And the pastor had never had a chance really to get out there and see it. And so one day he says, hey, I'd love to stop by and see your farm. So he goes, and the farmer's delighted, get out. And he takes him around, just acres and acres of you know, barley and corn and all this stuff. And the pastor's just so amazed at, at, at this whole thing. So right in the middle, he stops and he says, can we just pray? This is so amazing. God's, it's miraculous. So he begins to pray and he thanks God for all. God, thank you for all you've done. Thanks for giving life to the seeds. Thanks for watering all this. None of this could have happened without you. May your name be praised. So he finishes his prayer and the farmer's standing there and he kind of says under his breath, thank you, pastor, but you should have seen this field when God had it all to himself. That was a joke. (laughs) It's impossible for a seed to grow without God. But he asks us to participate in the project. So over these weeks in front of us, I want to talk about the habits of a healthy soul. We get how you have a healthy body. How how, how do you do that? Well, there's a couple things that they say are really important. You got to sleep. If if you don't sleep, it's not going to work for you. It, It matters what you eat. If you eat a lot of junk, it's sooner or later, it's it's probably going to bite you. Twinkies are not going to get you there. You can pray over them. You can bless them. It's not going to work. You need to exercise. They had this doctor on the news the other night. What are some things we can do just to, you know, be in better health? Just amazing stuff. He said, get up from your desk and walk around for 10 minutes. Instead of taking the elevator, go up the stairs. Instead of getting on a golf cart, walk to your... I mean, this is world-changing stuff. Just move. That's how you have a healthy body. But guess what? 
you can do all those things tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, you won't have a healthy body. You got to do them over and over. They're habits. And the same is true of your soul. There are things that he's inviting us to do that cultivate his life. It's him that does it, but he invites us into the project. So that's what I want to talk about over the next few weeks. What are habits that lend themselves to a healthy soul? Let me close with these three simple ideas. The healing of your soul, I can't help you. I can't heal your soul. Only Jesus can. And it happens when you spend time in his presence. His presence is life-changing. Second idea. Spiritual growth, when we talk about faith, we talk about the importance of that growing. What is it that actually grows? What it is, it's your soul. Your soul begins to be healed and re- walks in relationship with God. When, when Jesus comes back, it says that we're going to see him as he is fully, and our souls are going to be fully healed. He wants to start the process now and begin to heal our souls. That's that's what spiritual growth looks like. The third idea is your soul does not get healthy by changing your outer circumstances. Often we think, you know what? I would be happy, I would be good if you could just change this, this, and this. It's this. It's... Allowing God into this place to do his healing work. It's possible. Lots of you know the name Horatio Spofford. Lived in Chicago at the time of the Chicago fire. Before the fire, he lost his four-year-old son, his only son, scarlet fever. The fire hit. He was a very wealthy man lost most of his wealth in the fire. After the fire, he decided to return with his family to England and so headed to New York to do that. His wife and four daughters went on a ship ahead and he waited behind to follow. You know the story, the ship that his wife and daughters was on ran into a terrible storm. His daughter's lives were lost at sea. He gets a telegram from his wife with two words. Saved alone. He gets on a ship to go join his wife. And as he's crossing over the sea, the captain calls him and says to him, this is the spot where your daughters die. He stands on the edge of the boat and he writes these words. When peace like a river attends to my soul. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's a healthy soul. He goes on to say this, if Satan should buffet, the trials should come, 
Let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. That doesn't happen in one day. It happens with the habits of cultivating a soul that's healthy. I want to talk about that in the weeks to come. Let me pray for us, and then the team is going to come and lead us in a song uh, to close. Father, what a gift that you loved us so much that you made a way. When we talk about our souls, it's us, that we could be made whole, not just forgiven and but healed and restored. And so as we, over these weeks, talk about the, the habits of a healthy soul, that you would use these things to, to deepen our trust and our walk with you so that with the songwriter we can say, it is well with my soul. In Jesus' name. We pray that God will use this message to draw you deeper into a meaningful relationship with Him. Hope Community Church is located in Olmstead Falls, Ohio. If you would like to find out more about our church, please visit us at hopeolmstead.org.